You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. The book of Proverbs tells us that there is a clear path to live a life filled with wisdom and a clear path to live a life filled with evil and foolishness. This message is from part two of our series, Practical Wisdom, where we are learning that the path we choose decides the legacy we leave. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Would you just read that with me one time? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Uh, We're in week two of a series that we've entitled here at Covenant Practical Wisdom. Last week we talked about what it meant to, to attain wisdom through a proper understanding of who God is, the fear of the Lord. We talked about the yara that we're supposed to be filled with. That's a Hebrew word that means uh, dread, uh, terror, um, to be completely paralyzed. So we see the epicness, the bigness of God. And today we're going to take a little bit different perspective on Proverbs. We're going to talk about it. We're going to read through it. But we're going to look at it through the lens of people, right? So the author, Solomon, who is King David's son, he, he talks about uh, three different classes of people, three different types of people, if you will. And he says there's three different types. Number one, there's wise people. Look to your neighbor and say, wise. Now look at your neighbor and say, fool. You've been waiting to say that, yeah, right. And then there's also evil people. Say evil. That's where these are the three different categories of people we're going to talk about. But before we do, I just want to share kind of a brief little story with you. Um, it was about 18 months, I believe, uh, ago that my wife and I had a special delivery to our home. Uh, in fact, it wasn't necessarily one, it was, it was two. My wife and I had, had twins. Now, when I say my wife and I, I, I really mean my wife. Okay, let's be honest. In fact, when, I always love it when guys are like, yeah, my, did you hear the news? We're having a baby. And I'm like, you're not having a baby. Your wife is having a baby. Like, well, I had something to do with it. You're like, yeah, but that's not work, so leave it alone, right? <laughs> Let's be honest, right? And so uh, i, I got to tell you, i got to fill you in on how my wife actually informed me that she was pregnant, okay? So one day during staff meeting, uh, I got a text, and it's from my wife, and this is not abnormal. I usually get texts from my wife all day long just reminding me of how beautiful of a man I am and <laughs> how wonderful of a husband and dad and... Um, so, so this was not out of the ordinary, maybe a little. And, um, so I opened up this text and it has a picture attached to it, like an image. So I clicked to download and so I'm sitting there at work and a picture of a pregnancy stick pops up with the words pregnant across it. And I text back, is this a joke? And she said, nope, you should probably come home soon. That's what it said. And I did, and she was pregnant. Then we went to the doctor, and there were two of them in the oven. And so we found out uh, that way. So about 18 months ago, my wife delivered two boys, Asher and Moses, and we love them. Now, now, leading up to us finding out we were having twins, i, I got to really be honest. I don't mean to offend any twins in here, but you guys are weird, okay? Um, and I always thought you were weird. And just not having twins verifies it. It confirms it. But here's, here's kind of what I thought. I thought that twins kind of had some like telepathy, kind of like superpower thing going on. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Are you with me? Like I, I kind of thought like if one twin lived in Arkansas and one lived like in Montana, I could punch one in the arm and the other one would be like, ah, I must call my twin. What is happening to him? Like that's, 
I kind of wanted to exploit that through my own kids. But as it turns out, you might look, think that our twins look the same. We think they actually look completely different. Um, as it turns out, not all twins are exactly alike. In fact, not all babies are the same. I thought they were. I thought they would be. I thought they'd like the same things. I thought they'd have the same personality. I thought they'd kind of walk at the same time and run at the same time. As it turns out, they're completely different. In fact, watch this as an example. See how they're different. So I quickly found out that not all babies are the same. Asher and Moses are completely different. They're completely different. Different personalities, um, different even food preferences, to be honest with you. Now, I, there was so much more to this video that had to be edited out because of graphic nudity. I'm not going to lie to you. We had some bath, you know, some bath scenes that had to be taken out, um, and, the, and the camera was splashed, but that's a whole different, different thing. What I learned was not all babies are the same. And, and when it comes to the company that we keep, Right When it comes to, to our friends, not all people are the, are the same. The same thing applies. Just like not all babies are the same, not all people are the same. And because not all people are the same, that means that not all relationships we have and how we go about having them should be the same either. Now, I mentioned, I mentioned King Solomon, who is King David's son. Uh, scripture references him as one of the wisest men who ever lived. And in the book of Proverbs, which he authored, he references three different types of people I mentioned. Wise, foolish, and evil. So let's profile these people. If you would, just get out your notes and uh, start writing them down. You can use these in your Sea Life group later on this week as reference. But let's start with wise people. Number one, wise. Proverbs actually tells us about this. Obviously, we're in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9 begins like this with verse 8. It says this, Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will, still, he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Jump over to chapter 13, verse 20, and it says this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. I like that. I like that scripture. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Albert Einstein had this to say. Quote, any fool can know. The point is to understand. Any fool can know. The point is to understand. And I, I would agree. Because wisdom and, and being a wise person has a lot to do with how you filter, view, and deal with reality. Would you agree with that? How you filter, view, and deal with reality. Because when it comes to reality, you have, only have, really have three options. Number one, you can either embrace it, you can forsake it, or you can change it. Those are really your only options when it comes to reality. You can embrace it, forsake it, or change it. And how you deal with it, how you deal with reality, is very telling of what type of wisdom you, you have or what type of wisdom you, you do not have. Now, according to Scripture, according to Proverbs and, and elsewhere, there's a couple of different correlating attributes that all wise people share. It talks about wise people being humble. Scripture says that wise people are constant learners, that they're consistently seeking out wisdom, that they're, they're not wise because of one decision, right? They're just like one lucky, you know, long shot, like, oh, that person's wise for the rest of their life. No, in fact, wisdom is, uh, comes as a, you know, you call somebody wise because they've made consistently wise decisions over the duration of their life. Uh, we see that first and foremost, they have a fear of God, and that's how they make decisions, through that lens. And then also... They not only hear instruction, but they actually take instruction. 
Now, this is really important for a wise individual. A wise person not only hears instruction from another wise individual, but they actually listen and heed wise instruction themselves. But when it comes to wise people, when it comes to being wise and, and wise people, these are people that we should seek out. Are you with me? Yes? We should seek out, scripturally, we should seek out wise people. And not only seek out wise people, but wise people are people we need to learn from. Touch somebody right next to you and say, learn from wise people. Come on. Touch somebody else and say, learn from wise people. You are giving wisdom now. Yeah, exactly. We need to learn from wise people. What's more, Proverbs chapter 13, as we read in verse 20, it actually tells us that we need to walk with them. Now notice that Scripture doesn't tell us that we need to walk with a wise person. What does it say? We need to walk with wise people. We need to walk with wise people. The understanding here, now don't miss this, is that we need to surround ourselves with wise people. We need to be surrounded with wise people. Now, I've talked about this before, but I think it's worth referencing again. I think one of the reasons that, that even in our churches, we experience so little growth spiritually. A lot of times we experience little growth, we have stunted growth, and we don't realize our full potential, right? Is because we have a really bad understanding of what accountability is. And because of this, it stunts our growth. Now, most times people are in accountability, it's because there's already been the recognition that they have, they have failed. There's been some type of infraction that's taken place. And so they mess up, they fail, and somebody's like, you need to get into accountability over that. And so they get into accountability. You're already starting off on the wrong foot. Because even before you fail, even before you fall, even before you mess up, each and every one of us, listen, need to be in accountability with someone. Each and every one of us. As husbands, we need to be in accountability. As wives, we need to be in accountability. As children, we need to have accountability. We need to be in accountability. The only problem is the way that we have an accountability, normally structure, just flat out doesn't work, does it? Because it's usually like one-on-one. And, and I'm just going to tell you the conversation that happens, okay? Because if I come to you and I'm like, man, accountability is important. You're like, yeah, I know. That's why I have uh, somebody that I talk with that keeps me in check. Oh, really? How's that go? Well, usually I call them and I tell them everything that I've done that's really bad. Okay, good. that sounds fun. Um, yeah, I tell them and I say, well, what do they normally do? Well, then they normally, like, they give me some encouragement. Oh, really? Like, what do they say? They say, man, it's okay. I've been there. Keep your head up. Keep your chin up. You're going to do better next time. I say, okay. And then what happens? Well, then they, like, tell me all the stuff they did wrong, too. Oh, okay. Then what do you say? Well, then I tell them, like, it's okay, man. You know, I'm an encouragement to them. They encourage me. I encourage them. It's like that back and forth, really just good vibes. That's not good vibes. That's a garbage dumping session. You understand that? And so what you're left with is a bunch of garbage that everybody just pretends isn't there or overlooks. Or say it doesn't stink. In fact, both of you have so much garbage that neither one of you smell it anymore. Because that garbage smells the same as your garbage. So you just walk away saying, well, we both got, we both got garbage. What can you do about it? We're just going to try harder. That's not accountability. That's foolish. That's failure. So scripture doesn't say that we need a wise person. It says that we need wise people. We need to surround ourselves with wise people. People, people who are going to be calling us out, people who are going to be pouring into our lives, people who are going to be saying, no, don't do that, do this, follow the way of wisdom, learn from my mistake and do this instead. That's better accountability. We don't just need a mentor, we need mentors. 
We don't just need a wise person. We need wise people, and we need them to surround ourselves. You say, well, why is it so important that we're surrounded with wise people? I'll tell you why. Because you will become the company you keep. If you surround yourself with wise people, you will become wise. If you heed the instructions from a wise individual, you will make wise decisions. So surround yourself with wise people. I would also say this is one of the reasons that sea life is so important in our church at Covenant here. So important for you to get plugged into one. To surround yourself with a family that is wise. To surround yourself with a family you can do life with. Now, we have a lot of married people in our church. And we have a lot of babies. I mean, we have like an insane amount of babies and kids here. Okay? We have to rent like three different spaces. No joke. To contain all the children, babies, and everything in between. Okay? But we also have a lot of single people, okay? We really do. And so oftentimes what I hear from single people is this. Well, I would get plugged into sea life. I would, pastor, I would. But I just can't find a sea life where there's just not a bunch of married people and kids. That's what I hear. And I, and I often, I think oftentimes they expect me to say like, oh, man, what can we do about that? But instead I like to say, what's your problem? The problem is you don't like to hang around married people. You don't like to hang around people that have kids. You don't like to hang around them, and then they'll say things like this. They'll say, well, I just, I don't have any kids, so how's it going to help me? I'm not, I'm not married yet, so how's it going to help me? But here's the thing. Are you going to be married someday? Do you want to get married someday? Do you want to have children someday? Then maybe it would make sense for you to get plugged into a group where you could glean some wisdom from a, uh, from a perspective of a place you haven't been yet. Do you hear me? Do you, hear, you understand what I'm saying? Maybe you could get in that group and learn wisdom so that you don't jack up your kids the same way they jacked up theirs. The same way we all jack up our own kids. Maybe you could learn from our mistakes, okay? That's wisdom. It's not just knowledge. It's knowledge that's applied. That's what makes wisdom. Number two, the second type of people that Scripture talks about are foolish people. Now look at your, look at your neighbor and just, just say fool. Just, just nice and loud, right in their face. You've wanted to do it for years, so just do it now. Look right at him and call it. Come on. Okay, some of you just like, you really hurt your marriage. I'm just going to throw that out there just right now. If you took that challenge as a husband to a wife, you, you may be a fool. All right, Proverbs has a lot to say about foolish people, in fact. Um, and what it shows us is that there's actually two different types of fools, okay? Two different types of fools. There's the blissfully ignorant fool and the willfully ignorant fool. Let's break down the blissfully ignorant fool first. Proverbs 15 says this in verse 21. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense. It goes on in chapter 18, verse 6. And I love, this is one of the best verses in Scripture. I'm just going to throw it out there to you. Okay, look at this. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. The word of God. It's just, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Now, I'm a 90s kid. Do we have any 90s kids in here? Any? Any at all? Yeah, okay, good. We're a little quiet, us 90s kids. Um, and as a 90s kid, there's a couple things that, that you know, I grew up with, that, that I was raised with. Tight-rolled jeans, 90s kid. Uh, hammer pants, squeeze-its, boys to men, AOL Instant Messenger. Come on now. Come on. I told, the, I told our first service, I said, you know, do you remember the days when the most important thing that you could do was write the correct status when you were away from your computer on AOL? Remember that? 
be like AOL Instant Messenger. You'd be like BRB picking up chicks. That was like literally what you wrote, you know? And your dad would come, and he'd type in the box like, what is this, you know? And you'd be like, no, you ruined my life. What else? What else? Uh, yeah, slap bracelets. Um, oh, how about this? GoldenEye 007 on N64. I don't know anything about that. That's a, that's a game above games. Halo what? All right. Reebok pumps and beepers. Remember beepers? Yes? All of you who just wooed, you were a drug dealer. That's how we knew the kids that dealt drugs. Yeah. True story. That's not even funny. It's true. All right. Um, but anyway, above all else, above all else, I'm sorry. Above all else, there was one thing that as a 90s kid, we were all fed a steady and healthy diet of, wasn't there? Do you remember what it was? Remember this? Come on, if you know it, come on. Exactly, exactly. I'm talking Zach Morris. Come on, y'all. Come on. Kelly Kapowski, Lisa Turtle, A.C. Slater, Jesse Spano, and of course, Screech. Remember Screech? That dude has some crazy hair, man. Screech. Obviously, Screech being the, the, the very enduring and lovable nerd who was always putting his foot in his mouth and always getting beat up. Now, what's interesting about, about Say by the Bell is it really follows the same model that every other show does. It, it's, it's, got, it's got a Screech. Every show has a Screech. Have you noticed that? Uh, that 70s show has Fez. Uh, how about Friends? Joey. Um, let's see, Seinfeld, Kramer, uh, The Office. Dwight Schrute. I mean, every single, how about, how about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Carlton Banks. So much so that they made a dance after him. I mean, just insane. Every show has one of these people. The endear, they're very endearing to the show. However, however, in real life situations, Scripture would call these people fools. They walk into fights because their mouths invite a beating. They're always happy and filled with joy. Yes, why? Because they are ignorant. They are ignorant to the world around them. They're ignorant to what's happening around them. Now, if you feel like I'm describing you or someone you know, understand I'm not giving you a compliment. Okay? I I'm not. Don't walk away being like, wow, the pastor talked about me today. My friends tell me I'm like Screech. My friends tell me I'm an awful lot, Carlton Banks. No, listen, your friends are telling you you're a fool, okay? That's what they're saying to you. And that's not a compliment because Scripture says that this is someone who's blissfully ignorant, the first type of fool. But that's not the only type of fool Scripture talks about. In fact, it talks about someone who is willfully ignorant. Listen to the Scripture found in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool. For he will despise the good sense of your words. The second type of fool that scripture describes or talks about is the willingly, I'm sorry, the willfully ignorant. Now, it's one thing to be blissfully ignorant, right? One thing to be blissfully ignorant. It's another thing completely to be willfully ignorant. Because a willfully ignorant person does not live in the realm of reality. You know what I'm talking about? They don't live in the realm of reality. They're not teachable. They're not leadable. They're in denial about their lives, and it's intentional. You know what I'm talking about? They're intentional about it. Because for them to come to any type of real 
reality about their life, it would force them to have to take a hard look at themselves and understand that something needs to change. They don't want to grow. They would want to stay where they are, and they want to keep everybody there with them. They'd just rather not know. They just rather pretend that, that that reality isn't there. Oh, I see that right there, but I'm going to pretend it's not here. They are a train wreck waiting to happen. This is a fool. Now, this is the friend who's always making poor decisions. We have a friend like that, right? This is the friend who's always saying things like this. It's not my fault. I didn't know. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's not my fault. I didn't know. I didn't know I had to pay taxes. I, I didn't know I had to pay my electric bill Every month? That's not my fault. That's not my fault. I'm going to call them. That's not my fault. I didn't know that I had to, I didn't know that I had to be concerned when the check engine light was flashing in my car. Man, I, did, I just didn't know. Gosh, hopefully we'll, somebody will come along and, and take care of it for me and, and, and you know, further enable my post-adolescent immature, I don't want to grow up because I'm a Toys R Us kid, consumeristic, socialistic uh, 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 mentality of life. Take care of me, somebody. I don't know. I don't know how to deal with it. So I'm just going to pretend like it, it never happened. That engine light's not flickering. That, 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 that tax bill's not really you know, coming to me. I don't have to pay anything. I don't have to do anything. Hmm. Here's the problem. Wise, there's a lot of problems, but one of them is this. Wise words don't work on people like this. In fact, the more wisdom you give to a person, the more instruction you give to this type of fool, the, the less they will listen to you actually listen to you less and less. They'd rather just not know. They'd rather live in their own dream world. Here's, here's what's tough about this. These people are usually really likable people. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, Screech, he's a likable person. Joey, he's a likable person. Phoebe, she's a likable person. They're all likable people. Why? Because, they, because the clouds are made of marshmallows to them. Like, nothing is wrong, everything is great, and you're like, they're optimistic. Maybe they're not optimistic. Maybe they're a fool. Maybe they're willfully ignorant. Now, when it comes to the fools in general, be it blissful or willful, these aren't people that we need to cut out of our lives completely. They're really not. Um, but for sure, you should never surround yourself with fools. Why? Because you are the company that you keep. Surround yourself with fools and you will become foolish. You'll become a fool. You don't need to cut them out, but you do need to, and here's the word, limit them. You do need to limit your relationship with a fool. Case in point, don't go to a fool and ask his advice. Why? Because he will give it to you, and it will be foolish. And upon taking the advice, you go and serve out the advice. When it falls through, then you yourself will come back and say, eh, it didn't work. And somebody says, well, what happened? I don't know. It's not my fault. Why? Well, because that person told me to do it. I didn't know. Who do you now sound like? You have now become the fool. So just to recap, number one, wise people are people we need to learn from. Fools are people that we need to limit our exposure to. But that's not it. Scripture talks about this third type of person in Scripture. It talks about people who are evil. Look at your neighbor and just say, evil. In your deepest voice. Now, come on, say, evil. Okay, that was a little, little more scary than I originally had intended for, for it to be. Um, Proverbs 29, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 9 says this. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. 
He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Wicked. Same thing as, as evil. Um, something that happened uh, a couple months ago. Uh, we had just finished in our home. We just finished up doing family devotions before bed. And that sounds, I mentioned this before, that sounds a lot more spiritual than it actually looks like, okay? In our home, there's usually some discipline, and it takes about four and a half hours to get through a passage, okay? But anyway, with that understanding, we had finished up with our, our family devotions, and my daughter, Stella, uh, our only daughter, a beautiful little Steli, um, she started to laugh. We are tickling her and wrestling with her, and she started to laugh. And normally she just has this little cute laugh. I won't really imitate it. It's just like, ha, 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 you know, like that. But on this night, we're all on the bed wrestling, everybody, and she goes, this is what happened. She goes, ha, 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 I kid you not. And, like, we're tickling her. I'm like, what? I didn't know whether to be proud or terrified in that moment, Right? I just think it's so funny. We, we equate certain things with evil people. In fact, if I was to ask you right now, who is the most evil person who ever lived? You would say, Hitler. Of course, understandably. Hitler is our go-to evil guy. I mean, I, I, mean, I get it. He's our go-to evil guy. Like Hitler, though, was very intelligent. You realize that? He was evil, but he was also intelligent. But just because he was intelligent does not mean that he was wise. And you've got to understand that. Intelligence and wisdom are two different things. And don't fall for somebody who's evil and intelligent and be duped into believing that they are wise. Just because you are intelligent does not mean that you have wisdom. You could just be evil. <laughs> now, Hitler was evil, obviously. What made him evil wasn't the fact that he uh, was intelligent. What made him evil was the fact that he killed millions of people. What made him evil was the fact that he thought of himself as a god. In fact, here's a better question. Let me ask you this question. What is the qualifier for someone to be called evil? Do you actually have to have Hitler's status to be considered evil? Like, where is that on the scale? Like, oh, I'm between here and here. That guy's almost Hitler's status. You know, like, where is that to be called evil? Well, what's kind of scary about this is that Scripture defines somebody who's evil as someone who is in outright defiance of God and his ways. Now think about that. What does that actually mean? If scripture defines evil as a person who is in outright defiance of God and his ways, this can get a little scary. Because that means every single time we do something that we want to do versus what God has called us to do, what are we doing? It's sin, and sin is evil. The fact of the matter is, maybe some people that we consider good are actually scripturally evil. Maybe even people within our own church walls, people that consider themselves good or, or think of themselves as good, maybe they are truly evil or people that scripture would call evil. No matter how they look or how many times they show up to church or how many times we raise our hands, if we're living in outright defiance of God, Scripture calls us evil. Remember Jesus in the New Testament? Jesus spent a lot of time uh, chatting up the religious elite of his day. Uh, they were called the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, people looked at, in Jesus' day, in his society, Jesus, or people looked at his, uh, the social structure, this religious structure, rather, one of the same, truly, uh, very, uh, 
in a very hierarchical way, right? And at the top of this religious hierarchy were these people called Pharisees and, and scribes. And they were considered to be wise, yet Jesus viewed them as evil. How is it that a religious system and a group of people can, can consider someone wise, and yet Jesus comes out of nowhere and calls them evil? Listen to this passage found in Matthew 23, the words of Jesus, starting in verse 13. He says this, and every time I, I say the word hypocrite, I want you to read it with me, okay? Can you do that? Yes? Good. Here we go. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Pretty big uh, statement there. You're supposed to be leading people to heaven. Instead, you're shutting and slamming the door, not only in their face, but in your own. He goes on in verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. But inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Understand what Jesus is saying here. He's not going light on these people. He, he's bringing it down. He's, he's crushing their head. Jesus references whitewashed tombs. Now, that's a little cultural because we don't whitewash tombs anymore, do we? I don't think so. But in Jesus' day, in the Middle East, they had these, these graves that were inside of caves um, or tombs or in the side of a hill, depending on what kind of financial status you were in. But most likely, in these tombs, they were covered, and there were dead people inside. Now, it's hot there, and even though the tombs are sealed, the dead, decaying bodies begin to smell, obviously, right? And so what do they do? Well, one day somebody has this idea like, oh, no, can't really do much with the smell, but let's paint it and make it look pretty. True. So what they did was you would see along the hillside, people would go, and they would paint these tombs. Because even though it stinks, at least it's pretty. So when you're far away viewing it, you can't sense or smell, rather, um, the smell of death. All you can see is beauty and life. Jesus compares these religious elite, these hypocrites, to whitewashed tombs. He's saying, on the outside, you look like you have it together. On the outside, everything is good. But inside, I know what's there. Death. Decay. Dead man's bones. He says, you wash the outside of the cup. But you forget to wash the inside. Take care of the outside. You ever have one of your kids wash uh, cups for you? Don't ever do it. Like, don't. Or at least follow up after them if they do. Because guaranteed, they will not wash out the middle. They'll wash all the stuff on the outside and be like, it's beautiful. Let me fill it up for you. And the inside, there's just like stuff caked to it, right? It's gross. This is what Jesus is saying here. And he's calling these people evil. And when it comes to evil people, listen, when it comes to evil people, not only should you not surround yourself with them, but you shouldn't even limit them. When it comes to evil people, you need to leave them. That doesn't get too many amens. <laughs> when it comes to evil people, we need to leave them. And you're like, okay, okay, I'm kind of with you, but... Man, I thought you always preached the fact that Jesus said we're the salt of the earth. We're, we're, a, we're a light on a hill, and we're here to seek and save the lost. Isn't that what we do? Yes. I'm not saying don't pray for them. 
I'm not saying don't, don't think about them and, and give them over to God. I'm not, I'm not even saying that when you get with them, or that you shouldn't get with them. What I'm saying is this, when you do get with them, it should only for, be for the intended pur- purpose to show them Jesus Christ. Like, why are you spending time with evil people that are not good for you? Why? Why are you surrounding yourself with evil people? Don't you know that you will become the company you keep? You say, well, my friends aren't that bad. Your friends are evil. Well, how can you say that? Because they live in outright opposition to God, which is the very definition of an evil person. I don't care what they look like out on the outside. If scripture says they're evil, then we need to leave them. Well, that's harsh. No, no, you just have a a Messiah complex. You think you can save the person. You can't save a person. I can't save anybody. It's only the working of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ that saves people and brings true regeneration. That's it. You in and of yourself cannot save anybody. Now, I'm just going to be really honest. I'm I'm just going to. I already made a bunch of you mad, so I might as well continue. You know who needs to probably hear this the most? No, not probably. Listen, ladies, 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 I love you, but you got to quit. Like, you got to quit with the dog catcher dating. You got to stop it. You got to stop it. You drive around in your car and you think that you can net some lost puppy on the side of the road and rehab him back to a full stamina dog. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, look at that. Look at that lost little puppy. He's going to be a cute house pet. I could just pinch him and squeeze him and meh, meh, meh. Right? You know what I'm talking about. And you get out your net net and you swoop in and, and you think you can save him. Listen to me, girls. You cannot save him. Only Jesus can save him. Oh, does that mean I shouldn't care about him? No, you should pray for him, not date him. Come on. Because here's the fact of the matter. Here's the truth of the matter. And any good vet will tell you this. Some lost puppies turn out to be dogs that bite you. When it comes to dating, stop dating dogs. Stop. Stop picking up lost puppies thinking they're going to grow into something else. Scripture tells us that we need to leave evil people. Here's another thing. like Get together with people. Get together with evil people. Fine. Spend time with them. Jesus did all the time but for the purpose of sharing Jesus, for the point of sharing your life and showing how Jesus has worked for you. Why in the world would you open up your home to an evil person? They will bring evil. Don't be shocked. Why would you go to an evil person and consult them about finances? Why would you go to an evil person and consult them about your marriage? Don't take marital advice from an evil person. They'll give you evil advice because they're speaking from a perspective that is an outright defiance of God. And don't be shocked when you're manipulated. Don't be shocked when you're used. No wonder you have so much drama. You got so much evil people in your life. Like, come on, you got a Mary J. Blige situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, no more drama, just none. And one of the ways to get that out is to eliminate evil people. I think I made my point over and over and over again. They stand in outright defiance. They will manipulate you. They will use you. They will ruin you. They will ruin you. And they will smile all along the way and say, that's just business. It's evil. Now, what I want you to do right now, I want you to internalize that fact that you and you alone cannot save or change anyone. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But here's the good point. There's hope. There's hope. Because no matter where any of us stand 
in this list of people, whether we're fools, whether we're, whether we're blissfully or willfully ignorant, whether we're, maybe we're even evil. That does not have to be your life story. That does not have to be where you end up. Because maybe you've grown up surrounded by evil people. Let's just be honest. I talked with a young woman the other night who just said, you know, I grew up with people who, who told me that they hated me. They hurt me. They abused me. They, they told me that I was no good. You know what I started to think about myself? That I was no good. And so I had started to go out and, and find approval from everybody, from, from every way that I could. But, but listen, that does not have to be your story. That's a part of your story, but that doesn't have to be how your story ends. you understand? Are you with me? Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because when we encounter Jesus Christ, when we surrender to Jesus Christ, when we follow Jesus Christ, we cannot remain evil. We cannot remain fools. The wisest thing that we could do is give our lives to Jesus Christ. The wisest thing that we could do is to follow after him, to become like him. Scripture calls this sanctification. The act of giving our lives and then becoming like Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to give your life to Jesus. You're like, oh, I thought the goal was to get to heaven. Wrong. You're incorrect. You've been taught by a fool. The point is not just to get to heaven. The point is to become like Jesus. The point is to show Jesus to a lost and dying world. If you don't become like Jesus, don't be shocked that people don't know that you know Jesus. Each and every one of us has an opportunity right now, listen to me, Every one of us has an opportunity to make the wisest decision that we could ever make, which is to surrender and follow to Jesus, follow Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us. I don't care what circumstances you come up out of, what situations you're, you're coming up out of. You have the opportunity to change it right now to allow, to, to allow Jesus Christ to, to change it for you. So, in closing, here's my, here's my challenge for you today. You ready? Here's my take home. Here's my challenge. Here it is. Each and every one of us, each and every one of us need to take an honest look. Okay? This entire year for us as a church, we've cast this vision that we're, we're training to run. We're training to run with the vision that God has given to us to reach this city for Jesus. And, and to become a, a, a people group who really make an impact and a difference. And see thousands and thousands of people come to know Jesus. To make his name famous, not our own. If we're to do this, we need a church filled with wise people. We do. And so this morning, I'm, I'm challenging you, individually, each one of you, collectively as well. I need you to examine your life. I need you to ask yourself, which category do I fall into? And you say, well, how do I, how do I come to a conclusion? Well, I want you to evaluate three specific areas. Take a look at yourself. Okay. Take a look at your decisions that you make. And take a look at the company that you keep. And out of those three things, you should come to a conclusion. Am I a wise person? Am I a foolish person? Or scripturally, am I an evil person? What type of person are you? What type? Maybe you need to bring a trusted friend in to help evaluate yourself to keep you honest. Because you're not a wise person yet. Right? So you need to bring in somebody wise. Thank you for listening to this message from part two of our series, Practical Wisdom at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us 
where you can invest in life change through giving or find more impactful sermon audio just like this.